0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's C3 Church Global Podcast. Uh, I'm Phil Pringle, your host and the leader of the C3 movement around the world, along with my wife. In the studio today, I've got the lovely Joanna Mickack, who is always not there. Joanna nods. And Simon, this week, is our engineer producing this. But more than anything, we have Dr. Myra Klimek. From Italy at present, her and her husband, Steve, I knew a long time ago here in in Australia, and they moved to London where they became part of our C3 London church. And now they're in Italy. We'll hear more about that shortly. But they have been invested in the development of human potential through all kinds of ways that we're going to discover. And seeing this podcast is all about things to do with church and the development of leadership, we thought that they would be able to bring some great uh, information and input to the table. So, Dr. Mara, it is uh, wonderful (laughs) to have you with us. Thanks for agreeing to be on our podcast this week. Thank you, Pastor Phil. It's a great pleasure. Well, uh, you are originally from Australia, you and Steve?
1: Yes, we yes. We are originally from Australia, Stephen from Adelaide, and me from Sydney, though I have an Italian family background. So um, hence one of the reasons we find ourselves back in Italy at the moment, which is
0: uh, amazing. Great. So uh, one of my most graphic memories of you, and I wish oh, I'd dear. been able to follow <laughs> through on it. No, no, no. Was Steve pressing on me to come and be part of a Mount Everest uh, expedition I think <laughs> oh, oh, yes. I think it wasn't to actually do the summit but you know to do some of the lower level climbing but uh, when he said it's going to take something like a few months to get ready for it mm-hmm. that counted me out because I just <laughs> have been way too busy doing what we do to take a few months out to get ready maybe in my latter years I'll consider <laughs> that can you tell me about that uh, climbing Mount Everest have you done that
1: no, I haven't. I've, I've climbed, um, well, I think in the marriage contract. So Pastor Simon <laughs> McIntyre married us, so I, right. I partly blame him, actually. But, totally. Um, <laughs> we always joke that the marriage contract had the small print that I didn't read in the contract, which was, um, thou shalt follow thy husband at end of <laughs> rope throughout the world. <laughs> um, so, yes, I find myself climbing not as much as he has. He's, um, well, since we last met, he's spent a lot of years, 10, 15 years in Europe, really, and right. um, every year is he's climbed. So he's climbed pretty much every, well, everything in, in Europe. Amazing. Um, large and small. And, yeah, most of Nepal as well. He His um, attempts at Everest, unfortunately, each time it happened, the expedition got cancelled for various reasons. And so right. There, you're right, there's there's a three-month, usually, um, preparation mm. for those sorts of massive um, climbs. So it's, it's yeah, I, I tend to sort of dangle on the small things, you know.
0: <laughs> okay. Follow yeah. him around a bit. Well, you you as the doctor, you both have um, developed a heart styles indicator, which is a tool that measures effective and ineffective thinking and behaviour. How does that work? <laughs> well, hopefully, actually, I was, I'm always
1: continually surprised that it, that it apparently does. To be honest, um, it took a long time to get it validated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's now um, available. It's a short. What, what do I tell you? It's a short questionnaire, I suppose, a profile though we don't call it a profile, um, that looks at basically how um, constructive you are, and it works on the principles um, of humility and love, which you can imagine a couple of years ago in the business world we were laughed out of quite a few boardrooms, but we had a very strong conviction that, um, you know, based based on our our Christian faith as well too that. Jesus led with humility and love. So the opposite of that in our humanness is that we try to cover ourselves with our own strength um, that usually comes and manifests itself in through fear, and that fear can manifest itself in a passive form but also in an aggressive form, and that aggressive form usually is the opposite of humility, which is pride. And so over 18 years we did a lot of research and eventually had the instrument validated. Um, so it's basically a four quadrant model and it looks at, do you, where am I right now? And is there are there some blind spots to me that I don't see because you can ask other people to fill in this on you. So not only do you do a self assessment, but you can also ask people that you you know well in varying forms in varying okay. parts of your context, right. yeah,
0: yeah. And that's, that sounds like a, a great way to explore. You know who we are, where our pitfalls are. When you've come to the conclusions, you know you've you've reached. This is the the readout. Uh, mm-hmm. How much of a process is it to get people to therefore change?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Can I say watching your Instagram? Um, interviews last year. You asked really good questions. <laughs> Thank now, you. now I'm on, I'm thinking, oh, this is fantastic. And now I'm on the end of one idea. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. How do you, well, look, I, I'm probably going to annoy a lot of other psychologists, etc., and half the, half the population that's listening. But I actually think you don't necessarily change. I think that we wear our, our protective coats Um, We put our coats on when we're feeling insecure and we're not actually, we're trying to do the world uh, through our own strength. And I think all of us know generally where that leads us, but we tend to keep doing it um, as humans, some, you know, more often than others. Um, And so I tend to talk to people about that. And the way that the model is all created and we put a lot of this language in is that It's nothing to try to hide your insecurities. That's the problem. It's when you can shine a light on them and to know that they're normal. And you actually have been putting a coat on that over the years has become very comfortable and somewhat heavy and thick. And so it's just a matter of being able to say, actually, I can take that coat off and find the core of, of the person that I really am and the potential that I have and I can put another coat on that's the more constructive version of, of me and um, allow myself to to develop. And so we, we go through a little process of shock, anger, um, <laughs> rejection and rationalisation before you can get to um, acceptance and Yeah, action. wow.
0: Yeah, because, yes, to even accept a negative about ourselves can be can be challenging, but once you've been through a few trials and maybe grown a little, gotten a bit mature, and and definitely, I think being secure in yourself is is a big advantage. To just saying, yeah, well, that's me. I'm, I am I am like that, uh, and it doesn't kill you uh, to actually mm-hmm. admit that. It doesn't destroy you. You're able to hold the two concepts in your mind. I'm an okay person. But I also have this problem, and uh, and then, for me, uh, in pastoring people, uh, which I find quite different to developing people. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I say developing people, it would be more like a discipling mode mm-hmm. from a from a Christian point of view. Uh, yes. So I would see discipling and developing the maximum potential in a person. The, Exactly the same thing. Pastoring a person tends to, you know, like pat people on the head and say, they're there, you know, you're going to make it through this. You're okay. It comforts them, encourages them, mm-hmm. affirms them, accepts them. And it's very much in a way the nurturing arm mm-hmm. of the church. Whereas the uh, the discipling factor is a, is a more more radical uh Confronting, uh, a bit more like the father who's pushing the kid mm-hmm. on the swing a lot higher, where the mother's screaming at the boss, "Don't push him so high." And uh, I just think there's the difference there. Uh, and and so when I've taken people on that journey, and I, I'm able to register that the they are they're up for this because I don't think you should really push mm-hmm. people into. Yep. You destroy the relationship if you try and make them do stuff they really are not comfortable with at that point. But stretching people a little is always the way forward. And so giving them a job to do and developing new habit patterns in their life, Mm -hmm. I find these are the elements that actually bring change when they are actively involved in a habitual, continual, uh, new way of life, I think that uh, that can be very much putting that new coat on that's uh, replacing the old thing that they were carrying around.
1: Um, yeah, that's beautifully put. I would say, because once a neuropsychologist, always a neuropsychologist. So <laughs> <Yes>. I, <laughs> I would say um, absolutely right, because you, you actually, the more that you do something, um, particularly when it's pleasant, and you have some small wins, you know, as you say, you don't want to throw someone in too much at the deep end if you, you need to assess how they are able to cope with certain elements to baby be able steps. to progress forward. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the baby steps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, it changes your brain structure. And so I think this is um, such an interesting thing that we've had to learn over the COVID time too, hasn't it? Because it's... Yeah. Um, it's I've spent a lot of time over the last year because I, I work with a lot of. Sorry, I'm getting off your topic there. No, it's good. Um, work with a lot of CEOs, CEOs, and senior leaders in coaching and counselling them, and it's that whole thing. Is as you're repeating something, you're creating. I always think of like a super highway. You know, you've got yes. you come off a <laughs> a sort of uh, poorly poorly tarred road that's been right. used a lot. And you're actually having to develop a new one, and the more that you repeat that, the more you're actually diverting from the old road right. into the new one, and creating one that's nicely tarred, and eventually will become hopefully a superhighway because it becomes easier. Totally. Um,
0: yeah. So, so think, one, you know, one of the one of the great things of your discipline in in psych you know psychology is understanding the the brain is not rigid. Uh, mm. as we once maybe thought yes. or fixed. It's plastic. And we can grow new trees up there. We can. And kill off old ones uh, so <laughs> that we just, you know, actually create these new neural patterns. And that has been a really great liberating discovery, I guess, in, in these more recent years for leaders especially. Because mm. if we've got this deep groove in our thinking that we're stuck in, and we just keep going down it because that's the habit we've got, and we think that's all we can be. But actually, to understand, you can stop thinking that. And I, in myself, uh, doctor, uh, you know, I sometimes say to myself, "Crash that thought," because it's a fear thought, or it's a doubt thought, or it's a second-guessing thought, or it's a it's it's not even a conscious thought. It's just a feeling trying to become a thought, and I'll mm-hmm. say crush it because I know it's negative. It's just trying desperately to get me for some reason. Our our natures love that delicious negative groove in our thinking, and we go there so much easier than we're going to the positive. But I make myself control my thoughts and move them into a different way of thinking. Mm. And if I'm, if I'm feeling depressed, uh, you know, I go like, what was my thought pattern before that happened? And, uh, and then I, I can generally trace it's, it's that old devil. It's some old thought, mm. some old demon that, that really has always hung around trying to get you down that, that thought pattern. But once people realize they can change their mind, they can change yeah. the way they think, they can actually yeah, take can. charge and overcome in their brain and pull down every, as the there's a scripture in the mm-hmm. Bible talking about casting down imaginations. And it's so important that we learn how to do that because that's got to be one of the most liberating truths yeah. we could ever understand. W- w- would you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, you know, our brain is is wired for certainty. And it's also, okay. it doesn't like uncertainty. So whenever it doesn't know something or we don't know something or we're feeling uncomfortable and we don't know why, we start to create, as you're saying, we create all sorts of scenarios and our mind starts to, to go around all over the place. And a lot of the time that creates worry. Right. And we think that worrying about something actually will change our circumstances (laughs) it's like a hamster you know rolls around on the wheel the trouble is no matter how fast it goes it's not going to get off that wheel it's just going to keep going until it basically you know falls over (laughs) so (laughs) I was going to say something else but I thought (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so one of the things around that is managing our thoughts you're absolutely right and to actually ask ourselves is this concern or is it worry because worry can only take us down to anxiety and spiral us down. But concern can actually make us stop and harness our thoughts, as you were saying, and be concerned, be in concern, because you can then investigate what's happening for you and it can actually take you out of um, yourself a little bit rather than in this sort of disastrous (laughs) conflagration of of, um, fear and thoughts. And so disciplining our thoughts is a very, you know, the Bible tells us that, and yeah. it's very true, funnily enough, um, that to be able to discipline <laughs> to discipline our thoughts allows us to have a, a, um, a clarity because as soon as we go into anxiety, neuropsychologically and neurophysiologically, the, and I always find this fascinating, so sorry about this, but it'll no, stop sure. me if I'm, I'm going on too much. But the thing about it is... When we are in fear or worry, what happens is that our brain, the blood flow that's normally in our frontal areas that are our our um, discerning mechanisms, they're our logic centre right. Right. and our analysis centre, the blood flow that's normally there actually gets sucked back into the back of the brain Amazing. into our fight and flow. Fight, sorry, not flow. Fight. fight and fight mechanism. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so... We think that the more we try to fight something, so, example is I don't know, you're in a meeting and all of a sudden uh, someone asks you a question, you're not quite sure how to answer it and you freeze, you know? Right. And and you know that you know the answer, but you've just suddenly got very nervous. (laughs) I don't know if that's ever happened to you. (laughs) It's happened to me, and I know it's happened to a lot of other people. Sure, it is. So, what's happened is that that blood flow is actually in your fight and flight mechanism. And your ability to see clearly in that moment actually becomes violently impaired. Yes. So no matter how logical you are generally as a person, the more that you are in a heightened state of anxiety, the less clarity and objectivity you're going to have.
0: So no wonder God says 365 times in Scripture, fear (laughs) not. Yes. So to actually, so if it's a command, then it can be obeyed. And I guess mm-hmm. one of the most liberating things, as I said before, I, it would have to be amongst the top five most liberating things I've ever learned from reading scripture is that you, number one, you can control your thoughts. And mm-hmm. number two, you can control your emotions. Yeah. I found that more freeing than even the new thoughts that I realized I could mm-hmm. think. I could change the way I thought about myself. I could change the way I thought about other people. I could just change it. If I was Mm -hmm. feeling critical, I could change my thinking and say, no, I'm going to see them as a wonderful person. If I was down on myself and feeling worried, like as you say, about a situation, I'd say, stop worrying. Just stop it. Just shut it down. Mm. But, you know, mm-hmm. there are all sorts of other mitigating little voices in there, like, how irresponsible is that? What are you going to do if you don't worry about it? Well, all these things, trying to get that worrying anxiety mm. up again can be one of the biggest battles we face. But when I realized I can control my, my mind. I thought it was uncontrollable. It just thought away all its own thoughts all the time, and I just was subject to it. But I've discovered that the mind is a beautiful servant but a lousy master. And so if I can make it serve me and uh, I can think, I just make myself think the thoughts, and I say, and now I'm going to think about this and think clearly without anxiety, without fear about these situations, I think that's one of the essences of being a leader, that's effective. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. I would agree. I think that's beautifully, beautifully put. I hope that a lot of people have been really convicted by that. It's <laughs> really, no, I'm serious. It's really, yes. cons- it's, it's important. It is. Because you're right. A lot of people, um, even if you're you, were, you know, a seasoned leader, you're still a human. And that yes. humanity aspect of us can be <laughs> really annoying oh, totally.
0: <laughs> at totally. times,
1: as beautiful as it can also be. Yeah. In that we, you know, and I think the, uh, yes, the other thing that I just uh, wanted to say that you mentioned previously was, and I have a slightly different way of putting it, is that we are all an and, an A N D. We can be living in this human component that we live in now and on this earth. Right. Um, we can be the secure, authentic, constructive, leader, parent, friend, son, daughter, at the same time, and we can also go into fear. We can also put on our coat to cover up our insecurities because Mm -hmm. we're trying to do everything in our own strength. Right. And I think when you understand that about not only yourself but about others, it allows compassion to come through to understand that the behaviour that we're seeing in people is a manifestation of the state of the heart at that moment for that person. Right. And the only reason anyone is ever defensive is because they're fearful of something and they've put on a coat of sure. um, passivity or, or aggressiveness so sure. to try to cope with it. And so when you look beyond that behaviour and into the person's heart, you know yeah. that there's some something's going on there for that person, right. and so if they're not able to control those thoughts and emotions, as you're saying, they're not disciplining themselves. They're they're leaning on that that very empty coat to try to yes. to protect themselves and do life. Yeah, it
0: doesn't
1: totally. Doesn't work very well, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, mm. Mara. You know, um, my feeling is that, and and I do think we're living in a very dangerous time in terms of belief systems and mm. uh, philosophy, insomuch that it seems that people have given their feelings the right to control their life and their feelings which have then controlled their thoughts, that these things, if I feel it, therefore it must be so. or if mm. I think it, it therefore must be so. And these are very subjective. Obviously, mm-hmm. within ourselves, and we think that is the new truth. However,
1: mm-hmm.
0: following Christ means I have an objective mm-hmm. rule for life, which is the scriptures, and that manifests in real life, uh, in the church, and in the preaching and the fellowship, etc. But ultimately, I have that value system and that mm-hmm. lifestyle. Uh, of Scripture, therefore, I am under uh, command if I'm following Jesus to make my thoughts conform to Scripture mm-hmm. and my feelings to conform. If if there is a command that says love your neighbor, that means I'm able to summon love within mm-hmm. my heart in obedience to that command. When the mm-hmm. Bible says husbands love your wives, it's not like, well, I'll do it if I happen to feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a decision of my will because then I could say, as many do, oh, well, tough, I've fallen out of love. Uh, mm-hmm. Love isn't something that you fall into and fall out of in marriage. It's something you decide to do. And joy, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, be joyful, just Turn it on, and uh, for some people that might sound like it's artificial or it's um, you know created by by our own machinery inside. Yes, it is. I've got joy inside. I decide to be joyful. I've got clarity in my thinking. I decide to be clear and unconfused, and to be peaceful in my mind. So these are uh, these can seem like wild. Uh, promises. For some people, they think, no, I could never control my thoughts. I could never control my feelings. They're all all over the place. And they I just believe that they are the rule of life for me. But mm-hmm. wouldn't you think, uh, Mara, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. you. mouth. You tell me what you think. But I tend <laughs> to think that that's a pretty, <laughs> I, I think that's a pretty dangerous uh, state of affairs because of the changeableness of feelings and thoughts. Uh, look, see, I said to you, you ask really, really great questions. <laughs> and you also make some
1: pretty good statements. <laughs> no, I don't, I'm trying to underestimate. Um, yes. I think, okay, so I have in my life, in my, in my professional life, I've got Mara, the Christian, the follower of Christ. Yes. And operating as a psychologist, you know, with that. Yes. So, in as a Christian psychologist. And then I've got Mara, the Christian who also is a neuropsychologist and works in the corporate world right. with people who have varying types of belief systems, including a lot of atheists who have a very strong belief systems. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I don't have a belief system. Oh, yes, you do. You do of course, you do. Um, okay. And so, if I can try to make comment with both of these hats on, so I'll be the and in this case because it is a duality that um, I live with. So whether I'm speaking to someone who is a Christian or someone who uh, is not following Christ, um, who maybe has some good values, uh, who may be an atheist, who may not be, our feelings are not our friends, Hmm. to your point. They yeah. feel like it because we know them really well and a lot of times we can wallow with them, which is great because I love wallowing <laughs> as humans. Or well, maybe that's just me. <laughs> that's probably why I became no, a I psychologist. Think, a bit strange, you're... really. <laughs> there we go. You said it right. Apologies to every other psychologist that's not strange. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so they're not our friend. And I think you get back to from our, our Christian um, philosophy and, and teachings, it's... It's the soul trying to overcome the spirit, isn't it? Right. And it's trying to, to put itself into a place that, that's not its natural order or its correct right. order. And so our emotions are all in that soul area that right. feels real because, and now I'll go into neuropsychology again, because we, with our feelings and emotions, um, you know, God has given us this most extraordinarily powerful beautifully crafted brain right and the beauty of it and we can get into the you know this is a totally other sort of I don't mean to be uh theologically um (laughs) uh what am I trying to say um yeah I believe that after the fall the beauty of that brain got kinked a little bit so we're always kind of trying to deal with that so with that perspective our limbic system is our depository for our emotions and our emotional memory and so our limbic system is sending us messages all the time to try to make us feel comfortable in our in our space that that's the sort of medical physiological aspect of it and that's incredibly complex and you know that takes another ages to explain what what goes on but certainly when i when i worked in the hospital system um and saw someone who had a serious um, impairment in their limbic system, they, it can actually get to the point where they don't know where they are in space and that affects other parts of the brain. And that's a horrific, can't even imagine what that might be like. So our limbic system is drawing on past experiences that are deposited like a, um, like a, a filing cabinet that um, gets pulled out in our current state to try to Um, make us feel comfortable so it recognizes facial features it uh, recognizes environments etc all of this is going on at every millisecond of your day and we don't even realize it now the negative of that is that what happens in our current state and we have a little formula a formula called s plus t equals b situation plus thinking equals our behavior so what happens in any situation is that we our limbic system sends up messages from our past experiences to help us understand our present. Amazing. And that's great when it's, it's great when it's positive, but it's not so great when well, in negative. the moment, yes. yeah, it sends up, you know, some memory of oh that's I can't make a comment because someone will criticize me. That's what happened right. to me at school. Right. You know, um, and you start to, your brain actually believes in that moment because the limbic system is also where you have imagination. It's your frontotemporal area. Right. It's where you dream, etc. And so yeah. imagination's a wonderful thing. But as, you know, you've said already today in our points, that imagination can also lead us astray because it can yes. start to create stories that don't actually
0: exist. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think that when I, I get a little maxim that what we're not up on, we're down on. And uh, so always be communicating, especially in times of crisis like COVID, because mm-hmm. the more you communicate, people are aware of where we're going, what's happening and all this kind of thing. And therefore they they don't have to invent negative scenarios. But when we are left in the dark, we inevitably invent
1: mm-hmm.
0: dark scenarios that uh that, that make us worried and anxious. So, anyway, Doctor uh, Mara, we have to come to an end. I should call you Doctor uh when I'm being <laughs> formal, shouldn't I? You call and me Mara. Mara when I'm not. But, uh, <laughs> but it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Mara, and uh, so nice to catch up again. You haven't changed at all, sister. Oh, you look uh, honestly. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm turning 60 this year can you believe it oh, it's crazy yeah anyway, tell
0: steve uh i uh, so look forward to catching up with him again one day and uh maybe we'll have another shot at a mountain somewhere maybe the blue mountains <laughs>
1: that sounds like a, a much more dignified yeah. manner
0: and doable oh, that's
1: great pastor phil thank you yeah, and doable yes yeah.
0: that's for sure thanks thank so you much thank you so much and uh Anyway, people, thanks for jumping on board this week and being with us in this podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and uh, send us a review. Tell us how we're doing. Rate us and uh, tag a friend. Why don't you send an email on, say, hey. Should listen to this. It'll help you. These are the conversations we're having, and not really interviews. It's just people that uh, I would like to have a conversation with and talk through some of the matters that are relevant to today's world and in things to do with church and leadership. So we look forward to being with you next week in your earpods at the gym on the on the bicycle in the car wherever. So looking forward to being with you. Thank you for jumping on. And we are always privileged and thankful to God for you. We believe in with you, praying for you as a listener that uh, you're going to have the best week. See you next Wednesday. God bless. Bye now.